Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. I was on the phone with my supervisor one day as we were talking all things sex education when she mentioned that I really needed to meet Kristen Lilith. She very thoughtfully connected the two of us. Kristen and I spoke first on the phone and immediately I was in awe of her. She told me about a book idea she had and was in the process of creating, a pop-up book about bodies with vulvas to teach adolescents going through puberty what the anatomy looked like. The book is now published and it's called Vagina and Periods 101, a pop-up book. When she told me about the book, the words, you're brilliant, came out of my mouth. Kristen is an ASEX certified sex therapist and educator from Nebraska. She's the co-founder of Sex Ed Talk LLC, a company that believes everyone has a right to sex education that is intersectional, medically accurate, comprehensive, and inclusive. Kristen has released another book called Boxes and How We Fill Them, a basic guide to sexual awareness. As an educator, she has led countless amounts of workshops, some that I've had the privilege of attending, and has been quoted in countless publications and has been published in a number of sex education manuals. <laughs> She's also received the 2020 Best Sex Educator Award from ASEX. So basically, she's fabulous. Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's so fun. I'm so glad that, um, well, first of all, I just am so appreciative that Connie introduced us and that we talked on the phone and I loved to be able to see you like starting the process of that book with the idea and the things that you went through to get that published and that it's out there. And it really is seriously one of my favorite teaching tools now. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Like I remember, um, I did a workshop with some Girl Scouts and I just presented to them. I'm like, look at this book. I love how it goes. (laughs) This is your anatomy. (laughs) Little hands on and tutorial. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And I have it sitting on our bookshelf in the house, right? Because I have two kids and my son who's seven picks it up, pulls it out. And he's like, mommy, what is this again? And he'll open it. And I was like, that's the uterus. That's where you lived and for, for nine months. He's like, yeah. oh, right. And he goes, and what is this? Like when it opens up to that part, yeah. I'm like, that's the anatomy, the vulva. Remember that your mommy and your sister have. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he will like close the book <laughs> and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> That's so fantastic. I love hearing. I I really, honestly, the best part of writing this book has not been like the writing or anything. It's been truly hearing the stories of like how people are utilizing it Mm -hmm. and like sharing, you know, people send me a message on Instagram of like, I read this to my kid and blah, 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 blah. And tell me what happened. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so sweet. And I just want to bottle it all up. It's It's so so amazing. How did you even, I mean, think about coming up with this idea. I know you wrote, co-wrote it with your yeah, so of the Christ, company. Yeah, Christian Hager and I. And, you know, so we were teaching sex education and we just, there are, there's, a, there's a lot of resources out there, um, but we just kind of found that so many of them, a lot of them were really long, um, yes. which 
you know, you've got 45 to 60 minutes to teach a class. Mm-hmm. You, if you're lucky, you get to see those same kids again and again and again. But sometimes you get one time, one opportunity to teach these kids. Yeah. So you're not going to read them a hundred page book on puberty, right? Right. Uh, they're long. Um, some of them are also pretty boring, right? I, <laughs> yes. Okay. Does your seven-year-old want to read a hundred pages about puberty? Um, and, and the problem that, that we really sparked was that we just started noticing how many of them were shame-based and, mm. you know, especially related to menstruation and, you know, you really need to take a bath and you really need to soak up and use soap and, you know, if you have an accident and it's like, it's not an accident, it's your period. So, you know, we started just having these conversations of like, gosh, we should just write our own book. Like, how do we normalize this? And, you know, it totally started as a joke, particularly the pop-up part of like, we should just have a pop-up vagina. Um, (laughs) And then we, and then we started like doing some research and looking into it and we were like, no, we can do this. And essentially it was like, how do we take this lesson plan on anatomy and menstruation and the lesson plan that we're doing with our kids and package it up into a book so that people have that lesson plan right in front of them in, in their own homes. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's kind of the long that's story short. That's yeah. what happened over the process of three years. <laughs> I don't think people realize like how long these things take, right? Oh my goodness. I don't think we realized how long these things <laughs> And again, that's why I say I'm the, the messages and stuff that we get, if I could bottle those up that have truly mm-hmm. made it worth it because after it was all said and done, I, I mean, there were a few times I was like, if I had known how much work it was going to be, I don't know that I would have signed up to do it. Mm. And it was done and done by that point. So, right, we had. Um, so maybe it's better we didn't know. But again, I think just the reinforcement of like how people are using it and how positive it's been. And, and again, that it's been positive, right? Getting away from that shame-based thing that we do with sexuality and our bodies and Um, so it's been so cool and so rewarding for that to happen. Were there any tears that were shed throughout it, throughout the process? Um, I would probably, yeah. (laughs) I mean, just some frustration. I, I think there were a few times where we both kind of were like, maybe we shouldn't bother doing it. You know, it's, um, but at the same time, you know, we had, you know, our artists and then we had the, the people, people, two people in England working on the pop-up and then you know, we had another colleague that helped do the layout. And so as we kind of start getting all these, you know, that it's not, it wasn't about just us, right? There's all mm-hmm. these people and all this input. And, um, you know, sometimes that's stressful because there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but at the same time, it, it wasn't about us at that point. Either, it was right? very collaborative. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, but I think that's the beauty of it too, is because as you said, it's like, it's so user-friendly that any really age who can read can open it see it and be like oh even the back page right the back page yeah. uh, that you show which I love the different kind of vulvas that can exist yeah. in the world our vulva, our vulva diversity page yes and that there's a little spot for a mirror that you have uh both of my kids at first see that and they're like mom <laughs> what is this <laughs> And I'm like, you know, that's just how our body parts can look different. And it's showing the variety of how we look different. And I, when I teach people, I say, or to kids, I talk to them, like we're soup and we're made up of all different ingredients. And so we create all these different kind of looks. Right. And so I said, remember how we're soup? I'm like, this is everyone's different kind of soup. We have all these different body parts, (laughs) all these different ingredients. And then I said, and 
I, you know, told my son, I'm like, you get to see your body part every day going to the bathroom and it's harder for us to see ours. Yeah. And so we have to learn how to look at it more carefully to keep it healthy and to make sure it's okay. And they're just like, all right. (laughs) All right, mom, whatever. Fine. Okay. I roll. Yeah. (laughs) But I, but I think that was, that page was so important because, you know, again, when teaching sex ed, and myself included, before, you know, when I was an adolescent, I thought there was something wrong with my vulva. Only mine, right? Only mine could possibly look like this. I'm the only one in the world. Mine looks weird, though. Mm-hmm. And it was, gosh, it might have been in college before I realized, like, there was nothing wrong with my anatomy. And that just, like, our noses and our lips are all shaped different, so are our vulvas. And, gosh, why, you know, it shouldn't have taken that long to have that kind of body acceptance, um, and that normalization. And so that was something that was really important that, yeah, we all look different. There's nothing wrong with it though. That's, it's supposed, it's just how it looks, you know? And we even think about, you know, the vagina monologues and stuff from the early beginning, you know, how some of the older women, they would call it the down there parts and that they've never looked at it. Like some people just never give it a look. And it's, it's true. I mean, I think that if you have a vulva, you could literally go your whole, you could go your whole life without looking at it or touching it. Right. Because yeah. you use toilet paper, you can use a washcloth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you never have to like, look, you could use pads or something for menstruation. You never have to touch it. And it's like, yeah, it's fascinating, but also so sad. But I think that's part of when we're so far removed from it. That's part of where, again, that shame kind of comes in that like, you know, oh, that body part's gross. And it's mm-hmm. because we don't normalize it. We don't touch it. We don't look at it. And it's like, it's not gross. It's awesome. It's yeah. It's without the mighty. Movie, none of us would be here. So exactly. I'm like, it's pretty dang mighty. I yeah, don't know right. <laughs> if you thought about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what made you become a sex therapist and educator? Um, you know, so funny, just from what you were just saying a second ago, I saw vagina monologues when I was mm. 18, I was a senior in high school and, you know, I think it was the first time that sexuality was really put on, uh, they put on this platform that we could have a conversation and, and kudos to my mom. My mom was always that mom who was always like, you know, if you want to talk to me about something, you know, you can. And if I brought it up, we did talk about it, but I think that I needed her to maybe come to me and bring stuff up because, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was like, I'm not going to bring that up to my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about like, you know, or we didn't talk about these things, my friends and stuff, you know, because it, and again, it was, maybe we'd talk about sex of like who was having it, but you would never admit if you were or weren't, right? Because that would be shameful. And anyway, so I saw vagina monologues and I was like, oh my God, like, how do we, I don't want this conversation to end. How do we keep it going? And so when I went to college, I got involved in the show. um, And then I switched majors like you do. And I switched to psychology and ended up double majoring in psych and women's studies. And I was like, I'm going to be a sex therapist. And I'm going to make sure, you know, Cosmo always talks about, like, would talk about like fake, faking orgasm stuff or 17 magazine. And I was like, and I'm never going to fake an orgasm. I'm going to empower women. So that was kind of where my journey started at like 18, 19 and it has grown exponentially. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the 15 plus years since then of, you know, still about empowering people and their sexuality, but also right. Sexuality. It's certainly about your sex life, but it's also about body image and communication and it's so much more complicated than um you know don't fake an orgasm but it was a nice Mm -hmm. starting place um yeah so yeah I mean so once I kind of decided that at 19 I actually found ASEC back 
you know, so what was this, 2004 maybe? Oh, wow. Um, so they used to send out their newsletter in the mail, believe it or not. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I found it much later. <laughs> yeah, everything's digital now. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, just part of the waiting game was though I had to go get a master's and get licensed and get a supervisor and do all my continuing. So it was, you know, it took me almost 10 years by the time I found out about sex therapy as a profession and actually turning it into my profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was pretty focused on, on accomplishing that. So. Well, and it's pretty rare, I think, too, for sex therapists to also be educators, correct? Yes, there's, there are not a ton of us. Um, you know, I was really lucky when I was starting private practice that I got employed at Girls Inc. of Omaha as a therapist. And then my role kind of evolved and I ended up becoming the director of sex education. And it was a natural fit because I was doing sex therapy. It was like, oh, you should teach the, teach the sex ed classes. Okay, great. I'd love to. Um, and it was so wonderful to have that opportunity. So I was very, very lucky that I was getting to do both and kind of grow and hone in on my skills, um, that it was like, I might as well get started. I might as well get certified. I'm already doing it. Right. So, mm. um, so then I also had same, great. We had the same supervisor and it yeah. was a great experience. Yeah. It was wonderful. Um, so what did your experience then at Girls Inc. teach you about what was needed in education? What did those girls teach you? Yeah, I think a lot. Because I think sometimes, right, we maybe look at books and stuff and you sometimes wonder, or even people just in general who do things for kids, you wonder if they've ever actually worked with kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? There is. There's like yeah. this huge disconnect. And I think that was part of what, what, we, what I got from that was I got to work, you know, it was K through 12. So five to five-year-olds to 18 year olds and really understanding people coming from such different backgrounds, you know, so that was part of what you have to take into consideration. And how do you meet, you know, 30 kids needs at one time? And, you know, and what does that look like if it is just a one-time thing versus, you know, I got, there was one class I got to teach that was, you know, the entire school year, every Mm. single week. And that was great. I would love that. Right. Was that amazing? Yes. It was a great opportunity. (laughs) And well, and partly because I got to know those kids a lot better. Mm-hmm. So our conversations got to be a lot more personal and in depth. And, you know, it was awesome when kids would come up to me and go, Hey, Miss Kristen, like, can I ask you a question? And, you know, they'd ask me something personal about it, whatever, whatever it might be, something sexually related. And I mean, sometimes it was just like, can I just, can I get some tampons from you? Like my mom won't buy me those, you know, she won't let me use tampons, but I really need them because I do track. And I'm like, of course, you know, here you go. Here's the closet, grab what you need, you know? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think I learned a lot more about what, where kids are at, what they're talking about, obviously some of the the lingo and stuff, um, but also learning about what kids need. And I, and I think some of what hasn't changed again from when we were kids to, to kids now is, that people still feel that shame and that, you know, like something's wrong with me. And so a big part of what I wanted to do when I, or when I teach is just normalizing that there is nothing wrong with you. Um, but also ask questions, you know, don't just rely on the internet and have a trusted adult and yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things too, I think I'm realizing even more when I started teaching was how non-diverse so many of our teaching tools are. Correct. Yeah. And how we need to diversify. Yeah. And that was something I think that stood out for me as well. I worked with a large population, 
a lot of black kids, a lot of Hispanic kids, but also a large Muslim population. Mm. And so there was a cultural piece and a religious piece that came into consideration as well. And it did make a difference in some of the topics that we talked about. And some of that, not because I was like dictating what we talked about, but just some the questions that were being asked look different depending on, you know, which age group and what background perhaps I was talking to. Yeah, for sure. So what, tell me more about, and I have, I'm sorry, I've not read your new book yet. That's okay. But it's on my list. (laughs) So tell me more about your book about the boxes and the boxes we put ourselves in. Yeah. So that one's, that one isn't for adults. Um, So it is a chapter book then. Uh, It's a a self-help book. And so what I noticed from doing sex therapy and reading lots of books, having lots of resources is that you can find a book that is 300 pages on low libido or 300 pages on, you know, pornography usage. And that's, and that's totally fine, but it's a lot of information. And I was like, cool, well, how do we maybe put some of this in one place? And so but also how do we have some practical advice? Because I think a lot of the books you read too, they leave you scratching your head at the end with no answers. Mm -hmm. And so you go, huh, okay, cool. Well, I read 300 pages and there were maybe (laughs) two sentences that resonated. And now what am I supposed to do? And so, so this covers 26 different topics, everything from communication to erectile dysfunction, to polyamory, to Mm. coming out as LGBTQ, to um, sexual trauma, to low libido, lots of different topics. Um, but the end of every single chapter has some kind of practical exercise or like homework, right? Homework assignment. Um, but some, something that you can do. And a a lot of the chapters, nearly all of them, right? If you read the chapter on kink and you're not kinky in any way, shape or form, the exercise itself might still be useful and be applicable to someone who has low libido. So there's, so a lot of times, so while every chapter is not going to be applicable to every person. There are probably a handful of chapters that are definitely useful and even more exercises that would be useful to a person. So I, you know, and some of the feedback I've gotten on that, which has been fun is like, you know, a same, like this chapter didn't apply to me, but I learned a lot from reading all of the chapters because it was just maybe a topic that I had never really thought about or never thought to explore. And so yeah, I mean, it's been it's been kind of that was and that was also a long time coming. I certainly thought that would be out way before I ever I never thought I'd write a pop-up book for that matter. So, <laughs> you know, this was this was always my bigger picture goal and again, I mean, it probably took 5 years between start to finish to editing process and all that good stuff, but um yeah, I think it's been really awesome and and I also acknowledge that I don't think therapy is accessible unfortunately for everybody and yeah. So part of this was also, you know, how do you make this accessible? And so I feel like somebody who's having some kind of issue could pick this book up and actually, again, feel like they have a starting place of like, okay, here's where I can start to trying to resolve this issue. And they might still need to go to therapy or they might still need to go see a doctor, but they definitely have some kind of tools that they can jump right in at least instead of feeling like I have no idea where to start. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. I feel like what you've been doing as an, and which is what good educators do, right? Is you see this need 
of what is lacking and you're just going on and filling that need, right? Of yeah, being like, that, actually, think, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> because one, two, I think um, what we have to start doing and what I also try doing as an educator is simplifying things for people because we yep. think about sex and really people get terrified a little bit, right? Because yeah. it's huge. And we start learning as we're becoming adults that, oh, it's a lot bigger <laughs> than yes. we ever imagined. And so it's about learning how to break each little thing down. And that's part right? of the boxes, right? Like right. how do we, there's right again, sexuality is such a giant, massive umbrella term. And what are the things that fall under that? And how do we, yeah, separate out some of the boxes and some of it's like, I don't know, I have boxes from childhood maybe that again are filled with some of those negative message. And I want to, I want to clean those boxes out and throw them away. Right. I want some new boxes to fill up. And, and that was some of the feedback I got too, is that it was not, not simple. Like I, I didn't simplify it as far as like dumbing it down for anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. I, but I, but it's simple. And as far as being like straightforward, let's cut to the chase. I like to add a little humor and, you know, and make, and make it accessible. I mean, I think that's the big thing. It's not some kind of clinical textbook that I wrote. It's accessible because I yeah. want people to be able to utilize the information in it. So how do you believe people can start getting rid of their boxes? And how do you think our society will function better when we start recognizing that the boxes <laughs> hold us down or hold us back? Yeah. I'm, I mean, my quick, easy answer is I, how do you start doing that insight? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think you've got to sit down and maybe you've got to reflect a little bit on the past and maybe why you are the way that you are today. Right. Just connecting those dots about, you know, Oh yeah, well, I grew up in a family. Ah, that's why I do this because my family. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think some of it's just having some insight and some self-awareness to be able to unpack some of those boxes and, you know, like, like a lot of things, including, including my book, take what applies to you and throw the rest out. Right. So it's not like everything from your upbringing. We, we learn all kinds of things, um, whether you had a really amazing childhood or a very traumatic one. I mean, you, we learn things from our upbringing. And so take the, take the things that work and are good and keep those things. And then, yeah, figure out how you can start throwing the rest out the window because, you know, chuck it, recycle. We want to recycle. There you go. The environmental. Let's not fill it with a more trash. Yeah, Larry. Yeah, no. Reuse it for good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think some of that in our society is, I mean, gosh, I mean, some of it's getting away from things like slut shaming. Mm. (laughs) I mean, some of it's some more acceptance for people and our, you know, the LGBTQ community, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I mean, I think there's a whole spectrum of some of it's just some self-love and accepting your body is the way that it is. And um, yeah, building people up and building yourself up and not getting so bogged down and, and communication. I mean, I can go on Huge. and on about that, but I think some of being able to unpack some of those boxes is that it, you can have a dialogue with somebody then whether it's your children, right? And we're talking about sex education and role modeling or talking to your partner about what you like in the bedroom. But we seem to live in a society where people have sex, but don't talk about sex, which is fascinating that, you know, we can get naked and be in front of somebody and have sex, but then we can't actually have a dialogue about it. And I would say that's problematic for most people. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's part 100%. of also, yeah, bigger picture. <laughs> How would it change society? We could talk a little more openly about this and 
doesn't mean you need to share your nitty gritty details of your sex life by any means, but um, just normalizing the fact that we even have it. Exactly. I know. I think the main thing is helping people get comfortable talking around sex and about it. And just I, most of us, if we can just be real with ourselves and most of us are entering in to sexual experiences, blunt, you know, not understanding anything, right? sure. <laughs> just being like, I am just figuring this out as I go and not understanding our anatomy, you know? And so, and that's how most people do it. There's no shame in that because we haven't been taught. So there's no shame. So just be like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. kidding. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, like you said, yeah, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think honestly, what you're doing right now is reframing and having a podcast. I mean, I think this is part (laughs) of it of like, right. Unlearning, I think is a popular word this year. And it's an important word, but how do we unlearn some of the things that we've been taught? And I think even listening to something like a podcast mm-hmm. is part of how we do that, right? That you can at least start to have some internal dialogue and some self-awareness, even if you're not ready to have that conversation with somebody else. Right. For sure. So, so kudos speaking, to everybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of reframing, that was a good segue, by the way. Um, what have you had to reframe for your life? around sexuality yourself? Yeah, I think it just goes back to some of what I was saying of just the normalizing thing um, Mm. and realizing like there wasn't something, right? There wasn't something wrong with my anatomy. That was an, that was definitely an important one. And, you know, again, maybe in college, um, I I think being able to own that, like, this is what I talk about and do for a living, right? You know, and I certainly pick and choose, you know, depending on who I'm talking to, if I share that information, um, but having to, so sometimes I have to reframe what I do for people, but I think, I think just reframing that sexuality is, it's complicated, but it's so important. It's so all encompassing. Um, and not again. Yeah. How do people respond to you when you talk about sex therapy? It depends who you're talking to. Um, so somebody, there was a different, a colleague had kind of posted a while ago about, like the airplane conversation where you've got your airplane neighbor on on this you know on the plane um and they say you know just making chit chat and what do you do for a living and and then I get to decide like do I just say that I am a social worker um if I say I'm a therapist which is usually what I say mm-hmm. but then people will go oh what kind like a physical therapist and I'm like no <laughs> it's like I would have said I was a physical therapist if that's what I did right. no like a talk therapist oh cool like you know and, and again you kind of pick and choose and and I pick and choose partly because I love what I do. Mm-hmm. But when you say sex, people either shut down mm-hmm. and go, oh, because of their own embarrassment, or they maybe over divulge and start asking a hundred questions and some of them end up being very personal. And so some of it, honestly, some of how I answer that question depends on my mood. Like how much energy do I have, energy do I have to put into this conversation? Yeah. And to explaining what I do for a living. Um, and, and sometimes I have the energy and it's totally a fun conversation and I get to talk about myself and sometimes it's like, I don't really want to talk about myself right now. So I'm going to just pick the easier answer. I feel like that is similar when my, you know, husband is a pastor and I remember specifically, we were with a friend of mine, this was a long time ago and we were in Virginia and we were eating at a restaurant and the waiter came over and 
learned that both of us were working in ministry at that time. And then he just divulged just so much. <laughs> and my friend looked at me and she's like, I'm never hanging out with you guys again. If this is what <laughs> happens to you. <laughs> she's like, what a, what a bummer. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating how it, when people are interested, it really does feel like it dictates the conversation. And, and sometimes again, it feels like if I have the energy to talk a lot, but sometimes it's like, I don't really want to talk about me and I don't want to talk about sex right now. And, you know, I love talking about sex, but also like, it feels like I'm working them mm, and I don't yeah. always want to work when I'm just like hanging out on, or like sitting on a plane when, when, when people used to do that. Um, you know, <laughs> when we that. used to fly on planes. When we used to fly. It's like, <laughs> I actually just wanted to take a nap. So <laughs> But that kind of shows, I feel, how people, though, when they are given an opportunity, are ready to so, talk. I think that's what it is. It's giving them permission, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that's part of, I think, being in private practice is that people seek me out because they know right away they can jump into a first session with me and talk about sex because yeah. they've got permission because that's what I specialize in. And I, I think it's so important for people, but it's also kind of sad that, like, we don't have more of that. Mm. I'm glad that I can provide that, but I wish that people had more of that, that they, you know, could feel more freely to talk about it. And again, I love that I can be that outlet and that safe person, but for some people, I'm the only person they can talk to about that, that they have that permission. They can't even talk to their partner about what's going on because there's, again, embarrassment. Shame, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so take away some of, of the the myths I would yeah. say that live around sex therapy. Sec can you take away the myths that live around sex therapy? Like when people think about, oh, you're going to a sex therapist. Oh, 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 sure. You know sure, what sure. I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, usually people don't get any. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, people don't get too far if they have, if they buy into the wrong myth here. Um, Yes. I mean, right. Sex therapy, it is talk therapy. It goes mm -hmm. hand in hand with marriage and couples counseling. Although I work with plenty of individuals as well. Um, right now I'm doing telehealth, but it is your stereotypical, right? They sit on the couch. I sit in my chair in an office fully clothed and we have a dialogue <laughs> and for 50 minutes and then time is up and we schedule for next week or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, I, I did mention as part of the book, right? I do this with therapy. I like being able to give homework assignments or exercises for people to work on. Um, those happen outside of the office. And part of the reason I like being able to give assignments is because I know that it's cool to talk for an hour a week and, and dig into stuff, but then you need to, you're living your life outside of that, the other, you know, seven days with your partner or, and so you need to bring that information home and apply it to your life and, you know, either think about and having some insight or doing some kind of touching exercise with your partner, or communication exercise with your partner. And so, so that's why I like exercises. Some therapists aren't big on it. So that's my kind of how I do things. But, um, but I think it's important to do the work in between sessions. And so that's, that's kind of how I do I that. I feel like but that's your educator. <laughs> it could be, it could be the educator in me coming out. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. But how do you practically apply some of what we're talking about? And it, and not for everybody. Sometimes it really is just digging deep every week. It depends on, you know, the person and the context and what we're discussing. But um, yeah, so that's kind of, so the, some of the big myths, yeah, you know, sex therapy, do you? And it's like, don't even finish your question. No. I, I know. 
<laughs> I am a licensed professional. You know, I want to keep my license. You know, I have a master's and I love what I do and I'm going to keep it professional. So exactly. yeah. what are some of the major things you believe people are reframing when they come into your office? I know you see many different yeah, people. For sure. I think a lot of I think there is a lot of childhood messages that people get, um, a lot of unspoken childhood messages, mm. right? Um, so it's not always stuff that was directly or explicitly said to somebody, but I think there's a lot of things to unwind from childhood society that we get, um, messages from porn, because sometimes mm -hmm. that is people's sex education and it's not always the most empowering messages mm -mm. Um, or normalizing messages. So I think that's a big piece of what we're reframing. Uh, and the other big thing is communication. Okay. Truly, I think just how do we, how do, how do we even just have a dialogue? And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh my God, I, I, I've had your number for six months and I, I couldn't call and make an appointment. I was so embarrassed. And they're like turning pink in the session. And, um, and that's okay. Right. Because it's like, I'm not judging you. Like, you know, I get it. You've never talked about it. You know, it's awkward. It's weird. It's okay. But like, and that's part of trying to have a little bit of humor or something for me of like, let's, let's, I don't want this to be uncomfortable for you. And, and it's practice, right? The more you practice it, the easier it gets. So, um, so unwinding some messages for sure, the things that we kind of ingrain that we want to undo, but also learning how to talk about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. I do workshops at churches, right, with different youth groups and things like that. And I, since I only have a limited time with them, I ask them what, I give them topics, what is it that you want me to discuss, right? And hands down, high schoolers, all the time, communication. That's awesome. It's the number one thing. Because they, every time I go in, they're like, we don't know how to communicate. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to talk about this. And so I do role-playing with them all the time. I'm like, okay, we're going to do role-playing and it's totally awkward and we all hate it. Yes, But exactly. we need to practice because how else are you going to do it? And so Absolutely. we set up scenarios and they try it and we even, we do things like, how do you break up with a person? <laughs> you know, yeah. I said, because we should not be doing this over text if we can help it. Right. So we talk yeah. about the hard things, but it's true. Like we are not given the examples of communication very well, you know, well, and to have those. And something like that's maybe appro appropriate, right? Cause what role models would you have for breaking up? Because you probably right. wouldn't want if your parents aren't together, I don't know that it would be appropriate that you saw them breaking up. Um, right. mm -hmm. So your role model ends up being what movies, right? I mean, yeah. and, and so that's, and that's the problem. Or like, YouTube where everyone puts yeah, everyone's rejection sure. video on. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. And it's, and so it's not that, and it's not that all of that's bad stuff, obviously like we, but it's also not real life. And so how do we, again, have, yeah, normalize that dialogue. And, and what actually does that dialogue even need to look like? Mm -hmm, for sure. At Reframing Our Stories, we offer sexual health education for the family in our table talk sessions. Parents, you help customize the lessons by choosing the topics, and then I teach your children and their friends. These sessions are a bridge to help you further communicate with your child without shame. To find out more how I can help your family, please contact us through our website, www.reframingourstories.com. So you have become 
a mom recently. I am. Yeah. So has that changed the way you look at, uh, sex education or sexuality in any way now that you are looking at this little part of you? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. Um, I definitely, I mean, in some ways it was, it's like, no, I was going to, I'm I'm going to expose this kid to like all these, (laughs) yes, poor kiddo. I mean, no, this is going to be a topic of conversation forever and ever and ever. And I'm going to be so embarrassing. Um, But I think a little bit of what's maybe changed has been finding, right, he's seven and a half months old right now. So, you know, some of it is like, okay, I've got, I've got like puberty books and I'm like, okay, I need to get more board books, right? I've got to see what, what's out there for board books for little ones because Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we can read those other books, but you know, not that he understands one way or another right today, but you know, in the next two years or so, I want him to be able to flip through the pages and I want to normalize this stuff. And I want things to be age appropriate and have those conversations. And so I would say more it's shifted in I'm being like the forefront of my mind of how am I going to have the, how am I going to have this dialogue at home? How am I going to have this dialogue at home? And, you know, something that I talk about with, with in workshops or with parents is like consent, right? How do we have consent? And I think people immediately go like, we don't need to talk about sexual consent with a five-year-old. And I'm like, I'm not talking about sexual consent. Consent Mm -hmm. is, you know, letting your kid know like, Hey, I'm, is it okay if I, you know, change your shirt or just like giving them a heads up, like FYI, um, or as they get a little right now, Mm -hmm. yeah, just letting them know what's happening or again, consent, I think as they get a look, once they're around that too, of like, you know, Hey, you need to ask before you take somebody's toy, right? You can't just go take you can't go take Billy's toy just because you think it looks fun. You need to ask. And, you know, when Billy asks you if, you know, he can play with your toy, you know, you're going to say yes or no. Okay. Right. That's called consent. And I think we can talk about consent from a very early age. So um, I think some of what we're trying to show as autonomy to we, a fun story um, <laughs> that I am absolutely going to, you know, share forever with this child. Um, so when, baby was in the womb. We were trying to figure out a middle name and we, we weren't quite sure. And we had narrowed it down to two. And I was like, what if we let the baby pick? And so we waited till, um, we had like an active day, lots of kick, 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 kick. And I said, okay, if you want this to be your middle name, like kick on the left side. And if you want this, then you need to kick on the right side and overwhelmingly kick, 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 kick on the left side. And like, okay, cool. Boom. I mean, hands down, that was the middle name. And so that's, that is what we went with. And, um, so I was like, how can we teach bodily autonomy when you're still in the womb though? And I think it was, it was a, it's, it's a fun story. It also is true. That is truly how we decided, but like, you know, you can't be mad about your middle name now because you picked it. Right. (laughs) That was your decision. It was your decision. Um, you know, anyway, so just, you know, I think thinking of the autonomy thing in, in, mm-hmm. in ways that we can, obviously with an infant looks a little different than as they get older, but, but that's important. So how mm-hmm. do we start young with that stuff? No, that's great. Yeah. I think people are so afraid of that. And I talk to people all the time, like, because sexuality is so big, it's all about yeah. touch. It's about attachment. It's all of these things. And it starts yeah. from the moment they are here. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it does. That's so, really wonderful. So what are some other things that you 
I mean, you just talked about now looking at the board books and stuff like that. Yeah. What, what are your hopes and what are you dreaming about as, as I think, a therapist and educator? Yeah, I think, I mean, in all honesty, right, we had a child with a penis. So we're he, he, he him, they, them, right? Um, and I think, and we are both, me and my partner are both white. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's probably one of the big things that we're thinking about um, prior, like once we knew the sex of the baby, I think that's something we were like, okay, I want to be really thoughtful, not to shame my child, you know, you are who you are, right? But like, so I certainly don't want to go that direction, but I do want him to have that awareness that like you were born into privilege and because you are white, because, you know, you're not, he's not going to have to worry about where his next meal comes from. He's, he lives in a house with a roof over his head. And, and so I think thinking about those things, right. I getting away from the stereotype for boys that like, you know, suck it up and stop crying. Like I want him to be expressive. I want him to experience a full range of emotions. I want him to know that it's okay to laugh and to cry and, you know, to just experience feelings. Right. I think that's Mm -hmm. important. Let's, we're going to. Interesting. What a concept, right. (laughs) And and as a therapist, we're going to talk about our feelings. Exactly. I want to normalize feelings. I want to talk about, I want to talk about white privilege. I think that's important that like you can't change it, but you can be conscious of it. And how can you, you know, right. We picked up anti-racist baby was one of the books this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so how can we talk about those things and let's normalize those conversations as much as we normalize gender expression and sexual orientation. And I hope that you like purple as much as your dad does because it's such a pretty color. And also this baby looks so good in pink. So I hope that he embraces that, but you know, if he doesn't embrace that, that's okay too. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think those are some of the things of like, just being conscious. There's just so many things to be conscious of, right? Mm -hmm. Right before I got on here, I was looking at a video with my kids on Facebook that was going through and it was a man somewhere in Europe who uh, is probably in his sixties and he identifies as a straight man he's happily married but he wears pencil skirts and stilettos love it and I was like I mean he said that he he does that because he said you know women's clothing offers so much more variety than men's clothing and I like to be expressive (laughs) and I like to wear colors and I was like this man walks so amazingly in these heels that I could never walk probably great legs (laughs) that's funny wouldn't that be great like I just think about what wouldn't our world be so much better if we could just yes. be so expressive in who we are and what we And it's to so hard. We didn't announce our child's genitals um, until, until we had the baby. And part of that is because I didn't want tons of pink and blue stuff. And mm-hmm. I want pink and blue stuff, right? Right. Yes. Actually, I want color. Both. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We love color. And, and I know that it's so hard, right? I mean, our society ends up being so gendered and you know, we only, we only have so much control over it, but it's something that we're trying to just be really conscious of. And it's frustrating with even just an infant that it feels so dictated, Uh but, um, but I think that's part of having lots of books and having lots of conversations and showing the way that we engage in gender bending. And, you know, I, I am queer. And so just because I'm with a a cis man, right, I'm a Uh queer woman. And so part of, nobody can see, but like, right. We painted the baby's room rainbow and 
part of that was because our (laughs) our theme was rainbows and dinosaurs. Um, But also I was like, I need a little more queerness in my life. And like, Mm -hmm. how do we we embrace some of this? And I don't know, right? I just hope to raise like a kind human being who... Hmm is accepting of others. I guess that's my, my ultimate goal. Right. <laughs> I don't care how you dress or how you identify. I just want you to be like a kind human that <laughs> is loving and accepting and stands up for others when, when necessary, you know? I think that's a marvelous goal. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you will do well. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> you know. so wonderful. Well, um, if people, we about, at times. So yeah. if people want to get a hold of you, because I know you're in Nebraska, uh, but I also know that your website, Sex Ed Talk LLC, is online, obviously, of showing you've spoken everywhere, right? Like you do workshops everywhere. Yeah, I've spoken yeah. internationally. So yeah, I am I am accessible. Um, I am all over the social media. So kristenlilla.com would be my website. K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-I-L-L-A. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Um, you can find me on Twitter. And then if you're interested in the Vagina Pop-Up book, we are on sexedtalk.com. We're doing pre-orders for the second edition now. And um, we're also on Instagram, which is where most of the, the happenings are occurring. So that is Vagina Pop-Up book. Um, and we're on Facebook as well. So what's the second edition? Is it different from the first? Barely. Okay. (laughs) Um, honestly, honestly, the biggest update is going to be the resources. We have a resource page at the back and we wanted to, we had a couple of, um, thoughtful updates, but we also wanted to include more people of color in our resources. So that's the biggest change. The, the characters, the wording throughout the pictures all look the same. But because of that, we had to, you have to put second edition um, because okay. there's still some word changes yeah, at the end. So that's the biggest change is the resources. Interesting. Well, that's awesome. And thank you so much for being with us today. And again, I love your book. And thank you. I think you're a fantastic educator. Thank you. That's how I've you seen you. I've well. not been in a ther- <laughs> therapy session with you, but no, you're <laughs> wonderful. So thank you so much. No, thank you. you.